welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Asher. I'm Tobias, and I'm back with UC. What's up? Hey, Tobias. Not much. I mean, nothing amazing. Nothing bad. Nothing amazingly great either. And I realize I am pretty set on our weekly family routines. I work from home five days a week. My wife works from home almost five days a week. I go to the gym four times a week. I pick up the, uh, one, one kid from the daycare five times a week. We do fun stuff over the weekend. I manage life on the side in general pretty well. But what I've realized, though, is that beyond all of this, perhaps a major thing in my life that I've modified lately is that I am going to bed quite early nowadays. And it's probably because of, of my youngest kid. He turns six soon. So we try to get him to bed about 8.30, 8.45 in the evening. So I am usually in bed by 9. And then I maybe fall asleep 9.30 in the evening. And that is awesome. Because it's too easy to sort of, when the kids are in bed, you, you sit on the sofa, you turn on the TV. You can just do nothing for two hours. And suddenly it's 11 o'clock. Yeah, I need to get to bed. But when you go to bed by 9, then you're sort of forced to go to sleep before 10. Unless, of course, you bring your laptop and then it's super easy to spend a couple of more hours there. So that's the major update for me. Yeah, sounds like a, a good balance in life in general. I, I had that recently where I went up at 5 a.m. every morning and I got some things done, some workout before the kids woke up. Similarly, I went to bed at around 8.30. People thought I was crazy, but I got a lot of things done. Um, that kind of changed now a little bit when the kids are sleeping sleeping in in the morning, which is nice. Um, on my end, I unmounted my outdoor garden shower. And if you're a regular listener, you know that I've talked about that a couple of times. I built a project this summer um, in the garden, put an outdoor shower. And then I've been showering outdoors every day, every morning and every night, despite the weather. Uh, you know, the weather here now when the fall is here is not great to have an outdoor shower. But despite that, I've challenged the uh, the weather gods. I had to take it in now because it's it's uh, coming close to zero degrees uh, Celsius, which means freezing point. Uh, but it's okay. It's pretty cozy that the fall is here and we can light up the fireplace and do some indoor activities. Uh, and most of my indoor activities right now is, as you might hear on my voice, recovering from my rough cold. Uh, so a good cup of tea and the fireplace is not a bad place to be. Uh, so put the kids to bed and stuff like that after we've done some puzzles, drawings, uh, you know, generally having a good time with the family. Then it's it's pretty nice to just cozy up with the fireplace and contemplate on life a little bit. And um, I'm enjoying that, you know, apart from the flu. So um, I'm going to pile on to the same, like, no major updates in my life right now. The routines just keep going. I keep complaining about my flu and I keep getting pushback from the family that I complain too much. So life is as it should be. <laughs> I do admire your outdoor shower thingy. It is it is plus two now in Helsinki Celsius. So that's about zero Kelvin. It's super cold. So I couldn't imagine going outdoor showering. Even in the summer, it's too 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 cold in the mornings, but maybe next summer. <laughs> Uh, a couple of community highlights. Uh, we found one, and I think this is this is actually quite interesting. This is from James Berger on saying goodbye to Visio, the future of diagram designing. And this is a blog article on a new online service called Azure Diagrams. 
Azure.com for drawing your Azure environments and architectures and whatnot. I have to ask you, Toby, what do you use now if you need to come up with a diagram? Do you use PowerPoint, Visio, Draw.io or some other sort of online service? Or are you already using GPT for vision and just asking it to come up with the design for you or <laughs> something else? Yeah, I I did try. So, you know, the future me might use something like this. And I've tried this uh, by building something that can do it. I haven't written a blog post about it, but it might. Where I use voice to text. So I talk into my watch because I have it on my wrist at all times. So I talk into my watch that gets translated to text which is then sent to an API to ChatGPT uh, to explain what it wants. And then uh, using prompt engineering saying, this is what I want, that sends it on to another API that says, here's in, in words, in text, what I want. And then that visualizes it. And then I send that onwards to another API saying, hey, create this web, web page for me or, or this diagram in that case. But that didn't work out as I planned. Uh, I did get along the way. To answer the question perhaps a bit more precisely, I use Visio for some things uh, because it like it's just there in the browser. I have Office already, so I have Visio. I can just use that in the browser to make modifications to existing things. I have used Draw.io, which is now I think called Diagrams.net. Um, I've used that a lot as well. But uh, I mean, I'm still doing Visio. Um, you know, the web edition just gets the latest updates all the time, and uh, you know, it works for me uh, for for the things I'm doing right now. And mostly that's like architectures, cloud architectures, Azure architectures, uh, maybe some security diagrams and things like that. And uh, I'm, I'm not very picky with the tools as long as it gets the job done. And Visio does that for me, uh, especially since I have many years of experience building things with Visio. So that's that's my take on that. What are you using? I'm I'm not using Visio any longer. I, I gave up with Visio maybe five years ago. I, I did use that for 10 years or longer. But I always felt with Visio, the problem is that you have an icon for a virtual machine, you have an icon for a firewall, you just need an arrow pointing one direction between those two <laughs> objects. And it always doesn't really go as, as you intend. You want like an arrow with a small angle to the left, and then it goes to the right, or the small arrow shape is, it sort of gets stuck on one pixel and you're like, why isn't it going like <laughs> I want it to go? I move the icon, move the arrow with it. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> and yep. I gave up with Visio. Now I'm using PowerPoint. But what I do quite often is, is especially if I'm, if I'm in a meeting room, I use a large whiteboard to sort of come up with the mock-up. Then I take a plain old picture of that and using that picture as a reference, I go to PowerPoint and just draw it out. But obviously, if you're designing, let's say, an Azure landing zone for a company of 200,000 people, then maybe, yes, I would use Visio or Draw.io. But for anything more simpler, just PowerPoint. Uh, before we continue, though, I, I do have to pick on the fact that you said you're talking to your watch. And I am thinking back to, do you remember in 1980s, Knight Rider uh, <laughs> at the yeah, TV series? Yeah, yeah, Michael and Knight. Michael Knight and <laughs> it was David, David Hasselhoff was the was the actor then. And he had a car that could talk and it was like sentient, but then he could communicate with the car if he was elsewhere with, with, with his watch. And it was the coolest thing ever in 1988 or whatever the mm -hmm. year was at the time. It's now is. I'm, no, it's not. <laughs> now I'm thinking 
that yes, if I would talk to my watch, I would look like an idiot and yeah. I would hate myself. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm that, not that's me everything. every day when I'm trying this thing out. I'm like <laughs> standing there. I have my phone in, in one hand and I'm talking into my watch, which is really dumb, but I, I always wear it. Uh, and yeah, anyway. <laughs> anyway, okay, let's let's get to the actual content. Uh, Azure updates. We take a look at recent updates on all things Azure. We have quite a bit of stuff. Some of these are fairly quick to go through, like this happened, moving on. But some have ramifications for the future. Uh, Toby, would you like to start with whatever you have on your list? For sure. I, I've got a long list today, but a lot of them, I kind of consolidated them into retirement updates. So that's kind of a, a new angle. I want to try and just consolidate many of the, the things getting retired because that's something that's good to to mention. Uh, before we get to those, uh, the first update on my end is around Azure AI content safety. That is now in GA. Um, if you haven't heard about it, I think we mentioned it in one of the previous shows. That is something that enables developers to really build safer online environments and detect and you can assign like severity scores to unsafe images and texts uh, for your content and uh, your content categories and languages that you have. So it kind of enhances your content moderation and brings more confidence to the decisions as um, you, you go through content moderation exercises. It can monitor both user and AI generated content, right? Um, which is important to kind of highlight because it's not just AI content safety, it is AI powered content safety. Um, but you know, content safety for user-generated content as well. So Azure OpenAI service and the GitHub Copilot, as an example, they rely on Azure AI content safety to filter content in user requests and responses, and kind of ensuring that AI models are used responsibly and for the intended purposes. So you can get started trying that out uh, with the Azure AI Content Safety Studio. And this is Azure AI Content Safety is in GA, generally available, so you can start using it right now. It's an interesting service. I, I haven't consciously used this one, even if it's one of the underlying technologies for Azure OpenAI service, which I use quite a bit. Uh, the, the only thinking I do have with regards to something like this is that now there's an entity that defines what counts as safe and unsafe. And I just hope that eventually companies, businesses, would get a sort of a slider to say, well, for our industry, what we mean with this is is X instead of Y. So we'd we'd we'd, we'd like to fine tune this based on our our explicit requirements. And now I feel there's a centralized body that we do not know that's defining everything for us. And I do realize it's still early days, but this is perhaps something that I'm thinking in the evening when I go to bed at 9 p.m. and and try to figure out life. Uh, <laughs> next on my list, uh, Azure Machine Learning, there's a couple of updates for October. These are in public preview. Uh, there's a couple of new base inference models which do uh, expose fine-tuning capabilities. So when we talk about Azure OpenAI, we often refer to Azure AI Studio. And when we talk about Azure Machine Learning, that is the engine behind the studio and it gives you more freedom more choices more options for building your ai solutions 
And now one of the capabilities in there is that you can choose between more models than previously, like GPT 3.5 Turbo, GPT 4, and so on. And then you can fine-tune those, meaning you can augment those large language models with your custom data. It's it's not something you would do on a whim. It's it's something you would do when you have the explicit need for that one. Then another update for Azure Machine Learning is, is you can label pixels in images through something called semantic segmentation. I have no idea what this means, but it looks awesome. Label pixels. Well, why not? Let's start with this one. Uh, so perhaps this is something for somebody working more deeply on the Azure Machine Learning bits. Yeah. Uh, interesting. For me, I've got a couple of security updates that I uh, that caught my eye as well. So uh, the first one on my end here is in Defender for Cloud. Um, Microsoft now is releasing the CIS Azure Foundations Benchmark version 2.00 in regulatory compliance dashboard. So in Defender, in Defender for Cloud, you will now find that. So uh, it supports the latest uh, Center for Internet Security. That's the CIS Azure Security Foundations Benchmark. The version is 2.0.0 in the regulatory compliance dashboard. So going to Defender for Cloud, you can find it there in regulatory compliance. Uh, that kind of expands the assessment scope, and that now includes more than 90 built-in Azure policies uh, to kind of help you um, shape your, your cloud estate the right way and, and strengthen your security uh, posture, if you will. So this will succeed the previous versions of 1.4.0, 1.3.0, and 1.0. So this is the latest one, 2.0.0. Take a look at that. Um, if you, like me, worked a lot with compliance and security and you know privacy and all these things, this is super interesting. I haven't checked out the differences in the second version now or version 2.0.0. Uh, I haven't seen the diff, like where, where are the major differences, but the best way to experience that is to go to the regulatory compliance dashboard and say, hey, let's enable this one. Let's take a look what it comes up with, and then you'll uh, get insights into if you're breaking any policies or breaking any kind of guidelines according to the CIS um, Azure Foundation's benchmark version 2.0.0. This is super useful. I'm frequently using the previous version. I haven't had a chance to look at this one yet, but I'll I'll be sure to have a look at that one. Uh, two quick updates next on my list. Windows Server 2012 and 2012R2 they've finally reached end of support. The last day for having actual support for this one was October 10, 2023. So now it is past October 10, so there's no support. There's a couple of options though. So plenty of businesses are still running this old version of Windows Server 2012 and 2012 R2. One option is to modernize to Azure, meaning you pick up the workloads and you try to transform, often meaning rebuilding or re-architecting the solutions as web apps and Azure SQL databases and whatnot. Or perhaps you go to Power Platform, build Canvas apps and, and whatever else you can do in there. The other option, though, is that if you have to keep that VM up and running and you want support, meaning you want security updates in the future, then you would migrate those VMs to Azure, and there's there's something called 
ESU extended security update. So that's a paid offering. And this is officially the last resort for customers who still need to run the legacy Windows server and they need the updates. You could also run the server on premises and use ESU, the extended security updates option to Azure Arc. I don't know the exact pricing for this one, but what I'm expecting it to be is that if you want to keep lights on for an older than 10 year old operating system, then you have to pay a little bit extra on a monthly basis to actually be covered in terms of security updates. Yeah, and, uh, and it, yeah, go ahead. It, I think that's a, a really important update, um, especially ESU with Azure Arc, because uh, I know a lot of customers, they had their big data centers, they have a lot of things, they're running legacy technology, which you have to say that Windows Server 2012 is a legacy technology today, right? There's there's a lot of a lot of subsequent subsequent versions of uh, Windows Server available that you could have upgraded to, but for a variety of reasons, some companies cannot do that because they might have old applications that nobody's maintaining. They don't have the developer lab, you know, remaining in the company, and they can't upgrade to the latest version. Or there are a variety of reasons why certain companies are not upgrading. Uh, you know, whatever those reasons are, this might be an option just to kind of prolong uh, these the the life of these servers a little bit. Uh, but again, like everything I hear is, if you can upgrade, upgrade, right? Because you'll get the latest security patches, all these things. And while you get some of that with the EZU, the extended security updates, it's still a legacy technology, right? If if you get the latest thing, you're going to be more optimized, going to be higher performance and all these things as well. But yeah, super important up, uh, update. So that's interesting. Um, the next one on my side is also security update for Defender for Cloud. So that's the the second and only one on security I have. And, and this caught my eye because this, again, is something I've looked a lot at when I worked a lot with, you know, managing the cloud estates and things like that. And uh, it's a preview feature called Data Security Overview Dashboard in CSPM or Cloud Security Posture Management. So now that's a new dashboard where you can see risks to your sensitive data. So prioritize, this will help you prioritize alerts and potential attack paths for data that you have across multi-cloud data sources. Uh, making data protection a little bit easier and more effective. So it's it's essentially providing you a centralized summary of your cloud estate, um, like the data you have in your cloud estate. Uh, you can identify data sources at risk if it identified any of those. Um, investigate active high severity threats so you can see what's happening. Explore potential threats. Um, threats data, you can explore useful data insights and things like that. So it's like a new dashboard with data security overview. So that's interesting. If you're using CSPM, if you're using Defender for Cloud, that's something to take a look at to get this kind of holistic, uh, centralized summary of your kind of cloud data estate. Good stuff. Uh, next on my list, and this is something we've covered partially during episode 67 and that was in early 2021 we'll we'll put the link for that one and everything we mentioned here in the show notes this is in public preview microsoft playwright testing service which is an scalable end-to-end -end testing for web apps so we still have azure load testing service i think we've mentioned that at least in an azure update episode and load testing is for doing whatever sort of load testing you would like to do. And Playwright Testing Service is a platform as a service capability for running 
virtual browsers against your web apps to test that everything works as intended. Uh, so Playwright is an open source testing framework. It is still available. You can run it locally. You can build whatever you like with that. I think we went through during that episode 67, we went through the model of creating the Playwright testing script, deploying that to an Azure function through a Docker container, and then scaling that up and getting the reports. And what Playwright testing service will do, you will still create the testing script. You can record that or you can code it by hand. And then there's an engine that runs that through on Windows or Linux-based browsers on, on whatever on amount of copies you would like. And then whatever telemetry and results you're getting back, it is crunching through those and giving you a report on that one. Pricing, super simple. For Linux-based browsers, one cent per test minute. Windows, two cents per test minute. And on paper, this is practically nothing. But if you now need to run this against 50 instances on Linux and 50 instances on Windows, then suddenly you're paying about 1.5 euro per minute. And if you run this for 100 minutes every day, it adds up quite rapidly. So perhaps again, plan ahead on how you're planning on using this. And there's a free trial for, I think, 100 minutes that you can give this a spin. Yeah, that's a it's a good kind of angle with the pricing there because that's exactly what I ended up with Azure load testing and that service because it, it will quickly eat your credits and your money if you don't really maintain how that's going to work because uh, you can run a lot of tests in parallel. You can set up in, in Azure load testing service specifically, you can set up, hey, I, I want to run this from so many machines from so many different areas and you know I'm, I'm going to simulate having 500 users doing this and this and this. All of that adds up and, and real quick that will start eating the the credit so uh same thing here be careful just because it's like one or two cents uh for a test per minute you're usually not running one test uh you know in a single thread you might simulate 500 users or something like that and then all of a sudden you have to start calculating a little bit more on uh, like the financial impact if you will so the next thing on my end and the final kind of angle I have to this show is retirement updates, things that are getting archived or retired and, you know, being removed, replaced, stuff like that. So I do have five things I found interesting. So I'll, I'll just do, uh, you know, uh, two of them now, and then you can jump in with your updates and, and I'll do some more. Uh, so I, I thought it would be interesting to kind of bring up a couple of these recent announcements. Um, what's getting retired? And the first one then is migrate to Azure Monitor agent-based VM insights by August 31st, 2024. We talked about AMA or Azure Monitor agent um, in a, you know, a couple of episodes, um, also in, in a couple of update episodes. Now that's something that is becoming more tangible, like to ensure that you're using a supported version of VM Insights, you need to migrate to Azure Monitor agent-based uh, VM Insights by August 31st, 2024. Might seem like a long way out, but it's coming in real quick. And the next thing uh, is Azure Activity Logs legacy solution is replaced by diagnostic settings. So Azure Activity Log solution, uh, that was used to for forward uh, activity logs to Azure Log Analytics, Event Hub, or Stretch Accounts. So this solution is now being retired and will automatically be converted to diagnostic settings. 
So additional notice for anyone using that will be sent one month before the change is actually taking effect. So if you're using, for example, an automation solution or automation to enable or disable the connector using the legacy API, uh, you need to note that the automation will not be supported and you need to recreate it using the new API. So on March 15th, 2026, the solution will be deprecated. So you've got plenty of time. You know, it's it's two and a half years until we get there. Uh, all customers will be auto-migrated to the diagnostic settings and the legacy flow will stop working. So that's important to understand because I know customers using this. Uh, I know customers I used to work with in the past, they use this, uh, you know, to ship their kind of activity logs to, to log analytics, event hubs or storage accounts and things like that and do different things with the data. Just be aware kind of that legacy solution is now being deprecated in favor of diagnostic settings where you can do similar and, and even more things. But if you have especially things around the APIs, that's something to be aware of. But you have plenty of time uh, to figure that out. I'm occasionally thinking when Microsoft announces a retirement date on for, for whatever service, I'm thinking that, well, they're giving you like two or three years notice before something happens. Isn't that too long? Couldn't it just be 12 months? But then sometimes I do see large corporations and things just take time to figure something out, not because people are slow or or the business is not reacting, but because there's so much on the pipeline already. So nice to see some of the retirement dates being pushed a bit further away. For me, uh, two quick updates. The first one on general availability that Azure is now available in Italy. So there's a new cloud region in Italy North. I don't know the exact location. I think we need to reach out to some friends in Italy to ask what's the village the Azure data center is located at. Uh, I have no need for this. Do you think it's powered? Do you think it's powered by wine or coffee? I, I think northern Italy. I think more wine and and maybe maybe some espresso as well. <laughs> I've I've done the mistake of of going to Venice as a tourist back in the day, it was two o'clock in the afternoon and I, I did order a cappuccino and they were like, no, nobody will drink a cappuccino at two o'clock. I'm like, yeah, but I will. Yeah. I would Got like that. to have a cappuccino. No, no, we don't, we don't serve cappuccino. You can get an espresso. I'm like, well, okay, let's go for an espresso <laughs> then. So this uh, region in Italy, it's not yet available in azurespeed.com. I frequently use that just to sort of pinpoint the different capabilities and see the latencies and whatnot. So I know some people that I know in Italy, they will most probably migrate a lot of workloads from West Europe to Italy North. But at the same time, when you have a new region available, it's not on the same day, it's generally available that you would have all possible features readily available. So they sort of ramp up over the next couple of years so that it's up to speed with everything else. So that's the first one I had. The second one is, I, I, I think this is more interesting, that in the future, when you spin up a new virtual machine, default outbound access will not be enabled. I think this is great. So by end of September 2025, so about two years from now, when you spin up a new VM, no default outbound access. You will have to configure a Azure NAT gateway which will obviously cost you a little bit more, or you have to configure Azure Load Balancer, 
or you simply just have to add a public IP address manually. So I suspect when you go to Azure portal to spin up a new VM, they will simply remove that option of adding a public IP address, and then you have to do it manually later on. And why are they doing this? One reason being security, because when you spin up a new VM, if there's a security breach on that VM, it has full access, usually full access outbound. And I like the fact that let's lock this down a little bit more and people who know what they're doing, they can easily then configure stuff to be open again. Yeah. All right, that's a good update as well. So then I have three more updates on the retirement and then I'm done. And uh, the first one is migrate to Azure Resource Manager Control Plane API version 2021-1101. And so this might just be random numbers to you, but if you can relate to these numbers as I can, these are the API versions um, in ARM or Azure Resource Manager, the usually dates. Um, so September 30, 2026, um, that needs to be done. So uh, by then, uh, September 30, 2026, Azure Resource Manager Control, Play, um, Control Plane API 2014, 09, 01, 2015, 08, 01, and 2016.0701 will be retired. I'm mentioning those specifically because they they are pretty common. I, I see that in the wild. Customers still using those old legacy API versions. Stop doing that. Move to the latest one. And migrate to the latest Control Play Plane API version, um, which is the 2021-1101, um, you know, to avoid any potential kind of service outages in Azure Service Bus, Event Hubs, and, and Relay, things like that. So the other one is a retirement note is about Bing Speech that will be retired on November 3rd, 2023. So that's coming in real quick. That's in a couple of days. Uh, because speech services and the speech SDK fully replaced the Bing Speech API, Bing Speech will then be retired as a standalone service on November 3rd, 2023. So your applications will no longer be able to access Bing Speech endpoints and subscription keys. So you'll need to migrate them to the speech services and the speech SDK no later than November 3rd, 2023. So if this is the first time you're hearing about this, you've got a couple of days to to figure this out and, and roll things out into production if you're using this. Hopefully you've heard about this announcement uh, prior to me mentioning it right now. And the final thing on my mind is support for TLS 1.0 and 1.1 on Azure Cache for Redis is ending on September 30, 2024. So Azure Cache for Redis will be retiring um, earlier versions of TLS because they're um, you know more prone and susceptible to security attacks and there's an kind of industry-wide push towards using TLS 1.2 for secure communications. So Azure Cache for Redis will start enforcing TLS 1.2 for all connections starting October 1st, 2024. Good stuff. I I do admit I've never used Bing Speech in, in production. I think I've played around with that a little bit, but everything speech-related I'm somehow not exposed to that one, even even when I want to talk to my watch. <laughs> uh, last one from me, this is in public preview for Azure API management. Two new tiers in preview now, basic version two and standard version two. And why this is exciting is that specifically for standard version two, it will be cheaper than premium 
for standard that are currently available, but standard version two will have support for VNets, which means in the future when this is generally available, you can deploy API management standard version two for about 666 euro per month, and you will get almost everything which is available in premium, including virtual network support. But the challenge has been as of today is that for API management, if you need the VNet support, you will have to go for premium, which is about 2,700 euro a month. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge investment. And now you can go down to about 660 euro, still get the VNet thingy. Obviously there's differences in scalability and whatnot. But regardless, uh, for basic version two, that will be 142 euro per month. And it scales better, but it won't have the virtual network capability. I think private link is something they will have by general availability, but not just yet. Alrighty, plenty of updates. We'll have all of these updates that we mentioned, we'll have in the show notes, the direct links for you to read further on these ones. And now the last bit is the unexpected question. And Toby, this week, it will be your turn to ask me the unexpected question. All right, so I've got one. Um, and I'm thinking about this before going to bed every night. I'm trying to figure this one out. If Microsoft Azure were a restaurant, what would be the signature dish and how many so-called virtual servers would it take to prepare it to perfection? It's a great question. Uh, the first time, this was years ago, the first time I went to the US and I had time to visit Cheesecake Factory, I was like, is it, is it possible you can have 200 different types of cheesecake and all of them look delicious? So for Azure, I am thinking something similar. Maybe they will have 200 versions of something made from broccoli because i don't really still <laughs> don't like it but yes that would be the signature dish how many virtual servers well they don't really need virtual machines so perhaps they need ai based servers for that so it would be two one being the active one the second being for availability and and, and load balancing so my answer would be something based on broccoli 200 different dish all as signature dish choose whatever you like all of them affordable and two virtual servers yeah okay that's good good reflections Alrighty. thanks for joining us see you next week all right see you then